that says Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, episode 55, Saturday, May 28, 2016. The episode for today is Geek Gab Apocalypse. That's right, Apocalypse, because it is the end of the world. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about the X-Men Apocalypse, Brian Singer's new movie, which just came into theaters Thursday. But before we do, John, how was your week? It has been a great week out here. Uh, lots of gaming, lots of geeking. Doing some uh, looking forward to this long weekend we've got here on Memorial Day. Going to pay tribute to uh, all of our past soldiers by eating good food and playing games. Now, we haven't heard an update on your D&D game in a while. Yeah, so I, uh, it, it was a, I've been running it after work for some co-workers, and so it was in flux for a few weeks uh, when they moved offices. Uh, but we started it back up. We've been playing for the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's it's been going well. I get uh, you know it's more or less the same players showing up each week. You know a, a different subset of the same players. Everybody's having fun. Um, I the level five wizard uh, survived due to a clerical error on the part of the dungeon master. I am sorry to report. Uh, other than that, no uh, no player deaths. So, how was your week, Brian? My week was phenomenal. Thanks for asking. You're up to ten so, percent on your new novel. I saw. Yes, I've uh, finally buckled down and gotten to work on Soul Cycle Book Three, and I'm just moving right along in a steady clip. I'm really excited about it. And of course, the book bomb. How has the been the after effects of uh, of your book bomb on Monster Hunter Nation? I don't know if we can really call them after effects because it's kind of still going on, thanks to Larry largely. Because we did the book bomb, and his book bomb post ended up being the top post at Monster Hunter Nation for several days. And then he asked me, you know, for his own record keeping purposes to send me the final numbers after a week, because, you know, being an accountant and everything, he likes to be thorough, so, you know, I sent him some screenshots and some figures and a nice uh, Excel spreadsheet, because I know how accountants love those, and he did another post <laughs> where <laughs> he reported the numbers of the book bomb and basically bragged about his reach, which is uh, long indeed, so thank you, Larry, and the Monster Internation, and you guys, everyone who Helped boost the signal. So uh, it's still going strong. That's great to hear. Fantastic. Now Thank I you. have, I have actually seen the X Men, and I know Brian went and saw the X Men today. So the two of us, in a purely metaphorical fashion, are staring meaningfully over at John. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. We, we I wasn't going to get a combo going on this one. The, the X-Men say hello, and they miss you. <laughs> I, I, you know, before we get into it, let's, let's address this. So, 
they really destroyed that series with the which one is it the third movie third one yeah, yeah the <laughs> third one uh, it was absolute disaster uh, awful terrible movie and so I never went and saw any of the new ones I know I understand the new ones they they changed up the cast and everything made them younger but so so tell me as people who who much to your shame actually went and saw more X Men movies after that third one. Um, how, how is this series? How's the new series? Well, a buddy of mine said it best, which is, uh, especially compared to the MCU Marvel movies, X-Men movies, at their best, are okay. Pretty much hold to a decent average. I mean, you'll have spikes and troughs, you know, you'll have your X-2 and your X-Men Origins Wolverines, but the first class through Eric has been... Decent. It's okay. That's mighty praise from you, Brian. I, I thought the first class and uh, I can't remember the exact title of the one after that. Um, Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past. I thought both of those were good movies. I'm not saying they're superbly great movies. I'm not saying they're better than like Winter Soldier, but they're better than Iron Man two and three. The, uh, the dark. It's not crazy and say they're better than Iron Man two. <laughs> oh yeah, they're better than Iron Man 2 Iron Man 2 was terrible Dude, Iron Man 2 is the best Iron Man movie You shut your mouth What? I'll explain why in exacting detail later But <laughs> it's the best Iron Man movie I, 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 na name, name the other Iron Man movies That have Mickey Rourke in them Yeah there just just blew a hole in all of your logic. I am aghast. It was a terrible movie. Uh, Sam Rockwell is a great character actor, and he was bad in that movie. I'm sorry, guys. No, you don't have to bother. Let's let's not open up the can of worms. Let's save it for later. Let's keep talking about the X Men franchise. But by the way, I totally agree. Apocalypse. Yeah. By the way, did it work? I totally agree on your take on X Men series. Good, not great. So please continue. Um, see, and I thought the first X-Men uh, was a great movie. I thought that was a great movie. And it kind of laid the groundwork for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though it came out, what, eight years before Iron Man? Um, it, it established that you could have an entertaining, fully comic booky movie that was uh, could have some serious issues in it. And I think that's actually the beginning of what went wrong with this movie. And I thought the X-2 was well not quite as good as the first one was also a, uh, an excellent movie and then X-Men 3 just just cratered it all so an apocalypse um, I don't even want it do we have to summarize who apocalypse is does anyone care he's the least interesting Marvel bad guy there saved you a lot of time he can't possibly be the least interesting Marvel bad guy the least interesting major Marvel bad guy. Okay, yeah. that might be. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just remembering all the goofy Marvel bad guys from, you know, Spider-Man. The Spider-Verse got really some seri seriously silly bad guys. Yeah, the Wizard um, of the Month uh, caliber guys, yeah. But at least they're, at least they're kitsch, you know. Apocalypse takes himself way too seriously. He wears a monogrammed freaking belt buckle, like a Texas oil baron or something. Yeah, not in this movie, but he does in the comics. He should have in this movie, but... He was better when he was off-screen in the comics. He was better. He was menacing. He was uh, uh, 
terrifying. He did some really bad stuff when he was off screen in the comics. Once they brought him on screen, then his the menace factor went downhill because he has a big A on his belt buckle for Apocalypse, and he has blue lips. But and, as long as they were going all '80s retro, this movie, there's no excuse not to not to do the blue lips and the bling and stuff. Belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice Nightcrawler was actually wearing a Michael Jackson coat at one point? Yeah. That almost slipped past me. I just barely caught it in the last scene that he was wearing it. I'm like, wait a minute. Why aren't they playing Beat It on the soundtrack? <laughs> okay. So, Apocalypse, and, and this is not a... This is not a spoiler, because this is the literally... The very first scene of this movie, and it was the scene after the credits of the last movie of uh, Days of Future Past. Apocalypse is an ancient, ancient, ancient mutant who ruled as a god in ancient Egypt 10,000 years ago. And he has four super-powered mutant allies, aides. Various things happen. He gets trapped in suspended animation and gets woken up out of suspended animation in 1983. And the amazing thing about 1983, actually the amazing thing about the 20 years from 1963 to 1983 is even though it's only been, what, four or five? It's been 20 years, but both Beast and Professor X and Magneto and Mystique have all only aged five to six years for some unknown reason. During the 20-year period from 1963 to 1983, they got six years older or five years older. They don't ever explain that in the movie, but it is astounding. They do kind of lampshade it when uh, they introduce Moira, but yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of lampshading in this movie. Um, and Apocalypse comes out of the ground, he's mad, he's hungry for power, and his plan is not to conquer the world, but to kill everyone on planet Earth. And he goes about collecting four different assistants to help him do so. Now, now hang on here. I, 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 my brain is working over time. I've just noticed something. Would... Would these assistants happen to ride horses? They don't, actually. But they are named. Uh, war, famine, death, pestilence. Uh, but they don't tell you which is which in the movie. They just kind of say, well, he's got four assistants. And they don't tell you which is supposed to be which. Oh, those, those Marvel writers, they are too clever by half, let me tell you. They actually well, talked about that extensively because uh, supposedly Apocalypse is the model for every god in human culture. And, and they, they go through and name all of them. Or a lot of them. Yeah, that... was glaring tone-deaf scenes in the movie, but whatever. Oh, by the way, did you notice that they, they cut it back? Because in the trailer, he specifically pronounces the Tetragrammaton and it's absent from the final cut. I wonder if the uh, Anti-Defamation League got on their back for that or something. Or they actually grew some decency either way. Did they say Allah? No, Yahweh. <laughs> <laughs> Allah is not the Tetragrammaton. Uh, Y-H-W-H, four letters. No, I'm just asking. In addition, they did oh. not name Allah. 
Oh, you're right. Yeah, they did say Elohim. But, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's the setup to the movie. He goes around, he collects four villains. Um, for various reasons, he attacks the X-Men and these strangely youthful X-Men uh, get together and try to go and stop Apocalypse. And, of course, spoiler alert, they do. So here's my opinion of the movie. It is as close to Man of Steel as the X-Men could possibly get. Hmm. I agree with that. In, in, do you mean in the grim dark sense? Yes. And, and also in the vast spectacle implying tens of thousands of deaths while not dwelling on any one of them or not and not having heroes going around trying to rescue people. Not that they could, because literally they're causing worldwide devastation. They show five or six skyscrapers on the island of Manhattan being destroyed, reduced to dust, while at the same time similar scenes of devastation are happening worldwide. And so we're talking tens of thousands of deaths easily, but it's all just empty spectacle. It doesn't mean anything. It's just... It's for the for the Dragon Ball fans in the audience who, who like to see mountains blow up. Yeah, it's, it's boring, actually, is what it is, because they cut away from the characters to meaningless damage and destruction. At the very least... And I'm going to go back to the first X-Men movie. When they were on the island, and they had the little thing spinning around inside the Statue of Liberty, and that white shimmering energy ball was spreading out across the leaders of the world. People were running away from it. You could see a sense of fear, and you knew that it would affect them, and then by affecting them, it would eventually kill them. So there was at least some stakes going on. Not in this movie. Yeah, that's that's really the the crux of it. Um, they really didn't develop the new characters they introduced as well as they should have to establish the stakes. Um, I thought Magneto had a lot at stake, and they they gave Cyclops a pretty good arc, but like especially Psylocke and Angel, less so with Storm. But of Apocalypse's followers, they were mainly just window dressing. Like, I really didn't have any idea why they were there or what they were fighting for. Yeah. And Psylocke especially was just a cipher. She had a couple of lines, and she just kind of stood there looking a little goofy, to be honest. Yeah. And one of those things where she's, uh, you know, she's this hot babe with a badass costume, and then when someone actually dresses up in the costume in real life and stands there, you're like... Oh, yeah. Well, it was and symmetrical for one thing, and that's just wrong. It kind of a symmetrical Psylocke. She, she pioneered the um, Japanese RPG fashion of uh, asymmetrically dressed wayfish supermodels, you know, way before Japan started doing it. See, yeah. I, I was right, though. Olivia Munn just didn't have... Olivia Munn was the wrong person to cast in the movie. I think Maggie Q would have been perfect. I don't know that she would have made the character any more interesting because I didn't give the character a lot to do, but she would have been imperfect in the role, in embodying the role. But Yeah, the character is just 
criminally underwritten, as I'd describe Psylocke in this. Um, no character, no personality, and her her costume looked goofy. And you can make goofy costumes look great on the screen. Like, the classic Spider-Man costume you would think would look lame. And yet in in uh, Civil War, he looked awesome. Yeah, it's often the simplest costumes that translate the best to the big screen. I mean, like, the Flash. The Flash looks great in every incarnation. And he's got one of the most deceptively brilliantly designed costumes in comics. It's just red tights, right? Basically, but I, don't know, I could I could go into all the little design touches on it that make it like the designers knew what they were doing. But yeah, with Psylocke, you think it would be really really simple. You know, it's a blue onesie oh. and blue opera gloves and blue boots. With various straps, bam, you're done. Nope, doesn't work. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't work. Psylocke has in the comics a scythe sword, um, and then in the movie, for the last half of it, she has a scythe whip, which is also turns out to be pretty lame looking and lame in effect. Um, okay, yeah. before we complain about fundamental details, because those are all true, faults. Um, what what did the movie do well? Okay. Uh, it it was competently made and directed and many of the special effects were good and effective and the performances where they actually had competent actors with something to chew on, delivered the goods, looking at Fastbender and McAvoy specifically. And the dude played Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is always a delight in any movie he's in. I mean, he was in X2, which is arguably the best one. So, I really liked his scene. I think, on the special effects, I think that special effects were, from a technical standpoint, flawless or nearly flawless. Um, I mean, you know you're looking at computer-generated imagery, but it's not obviously bad. It's not obviously fake. It's not obviously terrible. Um, And so where the special effects fall down is in the area of directing. Yes, you've got these um, images on the screen, but the question is, are they making an emotional impact on the audience? And by and large... They're not making an emotional impact on the audience, and that's a failure of directing. And that's kind of a that's a great plateau to hit as far as special effects go, where they don't look obviously fake, so they don't look terrible. And now it's how well does this serve the story that's going on? Does it does it support the themes of the material? Is this a good scene? You can judge it in the exact same way you would judge uh, a normal scene that was shot purely on camera, purely in uh, the lens of the camera that has no special effects at all. You can judge them now on an equal basis. The special effects are so good, it's just like a traditionally shot scene. Yeah, I agree with you there. Singer really seems comfortable directing actors, but he does seem to have an Achilles heel in terms of integrating SFX shots and CG shots in his movies. He's the he's the reverse George Lucas. He's the exact opposite of Lucas. Just realized that. 
so so I have a question about the direction, and this goes back to what uh, something I forgot to mention when we talked about Civil War. Because the I thought the action sequences were all shot horribly. Um, at the beginning of the movie, all you see is shaky cam. But we loved the movie, and we couldn't stop talking about how great the and fun those fight scenes were. Because by the time it got to that, you know, that climactic battle, I just didn't care. It was so much fun to watch. So how do, how does this movie compare in that sense? Did, did they are, are they going with the typical modern shaky cam style or or something else? I don't think they were doing shaky cam. Um. But they were doing a lot of cuts around the violence. Yeah, they're doing a lot of rapid cuts. Um, they were doing that thing that Western directors, as Jackie Chan has pointed out, do to their detriment, which is they don't let the camera show the effects of a hit. Like, that was cut away before that, especially in a certain scene that we'll talk about when we get into spoilers, but... You know what I'm talking about. Or they, they probably partially couldn't show the hits like to keep the PG-13 rating. Oh, I was going to ask, did they they had to have done that just for the rating? Yeah, a large part of it. They just... There's a lot of things that are going on that are way too violent that if you showed the hits or showed what was happening after the hits, you, you would not be able to pull off PG-13 rating. It would be straight R. Yeah. So, yeah, it just... The movie fails on two fronts. It fails because with, say, 65% of the cast doesn't get enough characterization for you to actually care about them, and the other 35% of the cast is being overplayed, is being having way, way, way too much drama. Yeah, really looks like Agreed. And it's not that... It's not that, again, like Brian said, it's not that uh, McAlboy and, and Fassbender are bad actors, because they're not. They're superb actors. And it's not that they're delivering bad performances, because they're not. They're delivering excellent performances. It's that they are overwrought. It's melodramatic rather than drama. Mm. At, whereas if you look at Civil War... They did some intense scenes, but they avoided what could have quite easily been really, really melodramatic scenes. And apparently McAvoy has the has the talent to be able to cry on cue, at least that one tear to where his eyes kind of tear up, <laughs> and then one tear breaks loose and trickles down his cheek, and you're like, oh, he's feeling such intense emotions right now. He's the master of the single manly tear, yes, sir. It's it's such good acting. No, it's not good acting because it's overwrought. The scene is overwrought. It's all overplayed. And that's why I said that it's where it went wrong is they took all the same things that were in that original X-Men movie, you know, characterization and drama and emotions and anger and all these real things, and they, like, dialed it up way too high. You know, they dialed all of it up way too high. And I have a suspicion that the, the reason for that is they knew they were competing against Civil War because really a lot of thematic and even plot similarities between yeah. the X-Men Apocalypse and Civil War yet again. <laughs> this is the third, you know, superhero versus superhero fight 
movie to come out this year. Um, and it's it's even more obvious because Storm was a was an X Man in the first three movies. Angel, um, Warren Worthington was a main character in the third movie. Uh, Magneto was a was a sort of hero, sort of villain in the first movie, moving over to be a full villain in the second, but still not the main villain. The main villain was Kevin Bacon, um, a.k.a. the Black King. Um, and then in this movie, um, oh, I, did, I think I just messed those two up, didn't I? Yeah, that's because Peter Dinklage, who was the main villain in Days of Future Past. In the second one, okay. Yeah, and, and Kevin Bacon was the main villain in Tremors. <laughs> I thought the the gravoids were, but well, if you see it from the gravoid point of view, I suppose Kevin Bacon would be the. Anyways, so all of these characters have been heroes at one point or another, um, and so that's what makes it a hero versus hero movie. Um, and it's the third one this year, and so we've had a great chance to compare DC to Marvel to Fox's X Men and see who does it better. And as should not be surprising, Marvel did it best. The X-Men came in a distant second, and Batman versus Superman came in a distant third. Is it possible to vote them below no award and just have no award B3? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just... It was especially draining because it, I had just seen Civil War a couple of weeks ago, so all of the flaws in this movie were, maybe if I had seen it in a year where I hadn't seen Civil War, or if I had just seen it right after Batman vs. Superman and before Civil War, you might have thought, oh, that was a pretty good movie. Lots better than Batman vs. Superman, but as it is, it's like, wow. I just, I'm just sitting here watching this movie, and what I really want to be doing is watching Civil War again. Wait. You got to remember one of the big advantages that the MCU has is that they've been able to have individual character movies and, and they've had these characters develop over several movies. But each X-Men movie is by definition like an ensemble movie, right? Mm. With the with the exception of Wolverine. Right, and he doesn't count because he's like Marvel's worst character. I don't know why everybody loves him. Well, well honestly, my cousin just refers to the X-Men movies as like Wolverine Part 8 and, you know, Wolverine parts 1 through 11 or whatever they're on now. and eh, He's got a point. <laughs> yeah. But I think Sophie Turner said it best as Jean Grey. Mild dialogue-related spoiler alert. There's one of the lamp lanterns she hangs on uh, a glaring fault in the X-Men franchise. Is, um, they're coming out of Return of the Jedi and arguing over which one's the best one. And Cyclops and uh, Nightcrawler arguing over whether... Empire or the original Star Wars is the best one. I think those are the two characters you're doing, but Jean Grey's like, well, we can all agree that the third movie is always the worst. And I just thought, eh, people who live in glass houses, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you, see, if this had been a great movie, that would have been a, a, you know, a knowing in-joke, but instead it... it yeah, well, it was, a double, it was a double joke, because it's a joke at X3... It also ends up unintentionally being a joke at itself. So, yep. yeah. And I say right. don't see it. Uh, honestly, if you if you like the other X Men movies, you want to see this one. Uh, I would recommend watching it on HBO or wherever it ends up. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I didn't pay to see this. I bought a ticket for Angry Birds at the same time and snuck into this one. 
<laughs> um, Wait, you voluntarily saw Angry Birds? No. I just bought a ticket for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you you inflated all right. You inflated a a, a cash grab tie in movie to a fucking mobile game so that you wouldn't inflate the numbers for X Men. I'm just relishing this. Well, specifically so I wouldn't inflate Jennifer Lawrence's numbers, but it's not like she needs anything else inflated, so yeah. I'll I'll give it to the cynical cash grab mobile app tie in movie. Which I've actually heard is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I happened to see uh, The Jungle Book the same day as I saw this movie. Brace yourselves, it wasn't very good. Oh, it's got such high ratings. I don't know, I know what the ratings are. I just thought it was, I just thought it was terrible. Um, oh, here's, here's why it's terrible, though. They've got this one scene where they go to the Monkey City. It's, it's a remake of the... It's a live-action remake of the classic... Disney musical movie. So they go to the Ape City, where Louis King of the Apes is, and he's massive. I mean, he's huge. He's like the same size as the troll in the first Lord of the Rings movie. If you remember that massive troll who's swinging his arm and bashing through pillars and stuff, that's how big Louis is. He's ginormous. And he's voiced by Christopher Walken. Mm. Okay? Now, if you were to pick a tone of voice that Christopher Walken does well, it would be Quiet and Menace. Am I wrong? No, that, that's something I would hire him for, sure. So, they've got this Quiet Menace scene, where he's in shadow, he's in shadow, he's in shadow, it's Christopher Walken's voice, and then you see him, he's ginormous. He's just amazingly huge, and it's genuinely a... Uh, uh, discomforting scene. It's it's genuinely not terrifying but disquieting because you're aware that he could pick this kid up and just rip him limb from limb if he wanted to. He's actually more threatening than Shere Khan, the tiger. And then, halfway through this scene with Christopher Walken and the quiet menace and the dark shadows of this ancient abandoned temple, he starts singing that song from the first movie which is a is a up tempo friendly chirpy happy poppy song and it all falls apart the whole scene falls apart all of it falls apart and you realize this is a terrible movie they should have either fully committed to the happy-go-lucky happiness of the first movie or committed to a dark tale that stayed true to Rudyard Kipling stories. Because halfway between them is no good. It sounds like it broke you. It was not an enjoyable experience. It was your Yvonne Drago and your, your Apollo Creed. Um... So, I would say that if you're a fan of the X-Men movies and you want to see this one, wait for it on video. It's not worth going and paying full price to see. Um, if you can see it in a cinema, uh, in a matinee somewhere, 
you know, for four or five bucks, maybe go see it then. Wait till it's in the dollar fifty theater that used to be the dollar theater, but is now a dollar fifty. Um, that would actually be worth it if you saw it for a dollar fifty in the theater, uh, but don't pay full price. That that would be my recommendation on uh, X Men Apocalypse, and don't go see Jungle Book. That would be my recommendation there. Brian, agreed. Because I haven't seen Jungle Book, but no, I don't want to. So <laughs> All right, folks. Um, any any last comments before we go? Uh, no, I had fun. Thanks for listening. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. This is Geek Gab for Saturday, May twenty eighth, episode fifty five. Just a quick reminder. Uh, our Geek Gab homepage is is period gd slash geek. That is is good slash geek gab, and if you want to subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud through your iTunes or wherever, so you can listen on your Android device or your iOS device or your Windows device, then by all means, Windows Mobile, excuse me, by all means, use the uh, podcast URL in the description of this video. For those of you listening on SoundCloud. Soundcast, congratulations. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are signing off for tonight, but don't worry. We will be back.